Welcome to Grave Crimes Podcast, where we discuss horrific crimes and the haunts that follow. Hi, I'm Heather. And I'm Cynthia. And on this week's episode of Grave Crimes Podcast, we're going to cover the gruesome murders of three people at the Wickham Farmhouse. There were three. Three. Oh, there were three. Yeah. Can't count. However, because in typical me fashion, I have to give you a little history about the area. Um, (laughs) There's not a lot of history about the house per se, because it's been in the same family for 200 and some odd years. That's, that's, that's quality right there. Um, (laughs) So anyhow, Kachog is actually a hamlet on the North Fork in the heart of what is now wine country. Yeah, I was looking at him like, there's the house and there's like seven wineries right around it. Ooh, nice. nice. Um, It spans about 10 square miles and in 2018 had a recorded population of only 3,178. Not a whole lot, really. No. So according to Wikipedia, the name Kachog is derived from a Native American word, meaning principal place. Prior to the Europeans arriving to the area in 1640, the Korchog tribe, so that's C-O-R-C-H-A-U-G, they called the area home. And once settlers arrived, it's believed that they actually helped the tribe to build a log, quote-unquote, fort to protect the tribe from other local Native Americans. So now, the structure and the surrounding area are actually known as Fort Korchog, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, because God knows that I'm not good at that. Just wait till later when I try to say something in German. Um, (laughs) Fort Korchog is a prehistoric archaeological site. So in general area, they found some like very interesting artifacts besides the Native American aspect of it. Yeah. So now I'm like, I'm sitting there and I'm going, geez, I didn't know that was so close. I'm like, damn, I need to go there. And there's hiking trails and things of that sort. So you know one weekend we're doing that. Yes, tick season. Awesome. Yeah, maybe maybe we wait till the fall. (laughs) Or like when it's cold or something. I don't know. Maybe the cold. Yeah. You love that. Me, not so much. R- record number of ticks this year. Yeah. So maybe you'll just have to listen to me bitch about the cold. Anyhow, cold, ticks. i got to pick my poison, I suppose. <laughs> so anyway, um, yes, it was declared a National Historic Landmark in 1999. Nice. And they actually have, archaeologists have actually found evidence of the first contact between Native Americans and Europeans. How do they know? Well, they're, they're assuming that the four. Does it say it? Well, they, they believe that the fort was, you know what? Shut up, <laughs> you wise say, ass. This is the first yes, contact. Yes, they erected a sign like they do everywhere else on Long Island. The first contact. Yeah. So I guess I'm assuming that the reason they're, they're saying that is because of the log fort, which was not something that Native Americans would typically do. They wouldn't have built a log cabin. What year does this go back to? Mid-1600s. Right. They do know when, I think, well, I guess technically the island of Manhattan is separate from yeah. the island of Think about Long. <laughs> the island of Long. <laughs> you know, and you got to figure, you know, back then Long Island was simply just farmland if there was any settlement, right? Right. So, um, in addition to the native history, you painted my ass, <laughs> Kachuk posts one of the best examples of what they call English domestic architecture in the U.S., known as the Old House, which we read about in a book where we got very confused and there are apparently two different Wickham houses, so... Yeah, There's be like careful. seven, actually. There's some in like uh, Pennsylvania and one upstate. Well, apparently they were quite a large family. Yeah, it's like the Smith of the time. Yeah. Way to be Wickham. Yeah. So that house was actually built in 1699. It too is a national historic landmark. Yes, I love this. Yes. Protect your history. Yes, let's not knock it down like they do in some places. Anyhow, keep my opinions to in a museum. <laughs> so, a fun fact. Albert Einstein once called Little Peconic Bay in Kachog the most beautiful sailing ground I have ever experienced. I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. I think such a great mind spent time in Kachog, or Long Island in general. Um, he actually what rented... Say about me? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this room isn't big enough for your head, you know. <laughs> well, right now, no, with the allergies. Um... So, yeah, so he apparently rented cottages on Old Cove Road during the summers of 1938 and 39. And on August 2nd, 1939, he was visited by fellow Jewish physicist from Hungary, Leo Leo Seelard. I'm trying to pronounce the name correctly, so I can't speak at all now. Um, This gentleman had actually produced a nuclear chain reaction in a laboratory at Columbia University. Um, He was also accompanied by Edward Teller. 
So apparently this was when they had come up with the famous letter that they sent to Roosevelt, basically alerting him to the new developments in nuclear physics and hinting that the Germans might be working on an atomic bomb. This urged him to launch his own program, and the letter is widely credited with setting in motion the Manhattan Project. And if you don't know what that is, that's the U.S. government effort that built the first atomic bomb. Think about think about the type of science that they were doing. Back then. Back then. And I couldn't, like, pass high school chemistry. Listen, I need a lot of help passing economics. And that should be relatively simple in comparison. <laughs> I almost cried doing homework. Too old for this shit. <laughs> so anyway... Yeah, so when Seelert first explained the concept of a nuclear chain reaction to Einstein, he gave the famous reply. You ready for this? I'm going to try really hard to do this, right? Oh, this is the German? This is the German. So he replied in German and said, Darn hab nicht. <laughs> Shut up. Darn hab ich gar nicht gedacht. Which means I really never Let thought of that of before. Pickle. Shut up. <laughs> So if my friends in Germany are listening, you probably so are sorry. crying right now, and you might just have to come back and visit so that you can teach me how to say that correctly, because that was embarrassing, and I probably should edit this out. Anyway, in the 18th century, Kachog had some other famous residents. <laughs> Wait. You're going from Native American to Hungarians. <laughs> to German. <laughs> to German. Back to English. Yeah, because why not? I could speak Pig Latin fluently. Good, because I can't. <laughs> Like I said, we had this conversation prior. You already heard my god-awful German. And the both of us first could come up with Du Hast by du Rammstein. Hast. That was what we thought of. Yes. So, okay. Anyhow. Yeah, so apparently Kutchog was also the birthplace of composer Douglas Moore, known for his stage, orchestral, chamber, and film work. Apparently, one of his pieces was used in a movie like in the early 2000s as well. Very nice. Don't ask me what it was. I think it was like Baby Jane Doe or something like that. Huh. I listened to it. I had no idea what You're it was. You're a never... dollar baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, so Kutchuk was also home to the Wickham family, which included political figure Parker Wickham and his nephew John Wickham. I'm not able to figure out what the connection is between those two Wickhams and our Wickham from there our story today. There might not be. There might not. Because in that book that is poorly sourced um the, <laughs> the author did say uh there was a couple wickham families but they were unrelated she's like oh but not that wickham family that was brutally murdered a different wickham oh well so they perhaps they were just um coincidental similarly named yeah well and there could also be spelling issues right yeah again it was poorly sourced they could have been siblings they could have been. But again, okay, so the the one of the people, the core people in our story, apparently his last name can be spelled any one of three ways. And has been spelled any one of three ways, so good luck finding him. Um, well, they found him. Well, they did. I mean, like, um, you know what? Shut your face. Anyway, the Wickhams have a long and rich history in Kachog, and it survives to this day. And so our crime story begins. Have you been to the Wickham Farms? No. Have you? Yes. Bitch. Uh, but I didn't know any of this. Story. No, but now, Ooh. next time I go, and I will be going now. And you best be taking me with you. And I hope that no one's listening because from there, because I will be snooping. <laughs> well, we can't take your husband because he'll just cry in yeah, a corner. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, not no. like paranormal activity. Not going anywhere near it. That is true. <sighs> So anyway, just a few short years ago, back in May of 1854, um, Kachog was primarily farmland. And James and Francis Wickham had retired to the family farm in Kachog. That sounds, well, you know what? Isn't there like a phrase that they bought the farm, which means they died? And then I just realized like the correlation. Oh, no. I just know of like sending the pet to the farm. Yeah. I know that one. But isn't there? I'd have to Google it. But which complete sorry, I apparently side have. story. No, my I'm siblings like had a dog when they were younger, which my mom said went to a farm, and my brother up until like a couple years ago really thought he went to a farm. Oh, <laughs> I still find it kind of funny. It's so <laughs> well, we told my son that same story, and even to this day, he goes, "If you think I believe that," well, I guess even he was when he was smarter. a kid, smartass. 
Yeah, we've gone completely off course. <laughs> Farms. Farms. Welcome to the Horticulture for, uh, <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> Farms and how they relate to death in so many different ways. <laughs> Anyhow. So yeah, so they retired to the family farm in Kachog after working at the grocery farm in New York City, okay. which many people do, it's, and it's happening all over again. Everybody's coming out here. Um, James farmed the land with a black servant, Stephen Winston, and an Irish farmhand by the name of Nicholas Bain, which was spelled B-A-I-N, or it could have been... I saw B- B-A-N-E. No, well then, okay, so then there's four ways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the other man. one is Behehan... B-E-H-E-E-H-A-N, or Bayhan, B-E-H-A-N. Now, I know mm. the Irish spelling of yeah, names can be, like, it could be Bane and spelled B-E-H-E-E-H-A-N. Yeah. That's not unusual. It, yeah. Like, Siobhan is spelled was, in a way. I was just going to say Siobhan. I used to look at that name and go, I'm sorry, what now? Yeah. And I'm part Irish, so. Yes. Yeah. Anyhow. So, yeah, this guy, Nicholas, we'll, we'll go there. He was said to overindulge in alcohol and had penchant for making advances toward the servant girls of the house. That's a very polite way of putting things. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And besides, I like the word penchant, so threw it in there. <laughs> um, he took a special liking to Ellen Holland, one of the servant girls, and he even asked her to marry him. It's speculated that she refused, and then she also later accused him of stealing $10 from her. Which, I sat there and I kind of went, $10? Like... Jeez, that, that had like to be a lot. What the hell dollars. are they paying these servants? Between the ones that nap in the Lizzie Borden house and these getting paid like millions, I just I would I guess back then this was what year? Eighteen fifty four. I mean, it was. I don't know what I'm talking. I'd about, have to Google but it. Was probably it. like fifty something dollars. I know, but that just seems like a lot still. For sure. I mean, now I shit. That doesn't buy you much at all. We spent $12 to have soda delivered. So, you know, there's that. Anyway. That's shameful. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> hey, why not? We're being real. So, anyway. She relayed the theft to Mrs. Wickham, who in turn, of course, told Mr. Wickham. And Nicholas was subsequently fired. Which they probably... That probably was not the first offense of some sort for him to just be... No, I'm going to guess not. Apparently, he would kind of harass the girls okay. quite often. So that was probably the final straw. Yeah. So all of this obviously kind of pissed off Nicholas. And of course, you know, things were not good between him and the Wickhams and especially Ellen, right? Because she ratted him out. She refused his proposal. So anyway, he actually threatened her with personal violence. I think I read something that he was said to have basically implied that he was going to, like, prostitute her out, but then shoot any man he saw her with. Like, Kinky. lots of, lots of, um, violence going on there. So anyhow, um, Mr. Wickham paid Nicholas the wages that were due him, so he was a very fair man. And then Mr. Bain left. He returned three days later to retrieve his trunk, went to the Greenport train station, and left the trunk there. Apparently, though, that evening, he decided to walk the ten miles back to the farmhouse, arriving around midnight. He retrieved a post axe from the yard, removed his shoes, and climbed through the kitchen window, where the, quote-unquote, that's the word I was looking for, furious, I've never heard a dog described as furious before, <laughs> ferocious, maybe, but never furious, um, that's where the furious family dog <laughs> was kept at night. And the dog didn't alert the family, the dog did not bark or anything, um, so that kind of had provided the police with one clue, that definitely whoever had committed the crime was somebody that was known to the family. Um, so first he went to Stephen's room and that room was located over the kitchen. Stephen was struck on the head several times, quote unquote, rendering him insensible. So this is actually a lot of the quotes that I'm giving in the information. I actually found from an article from 1854 mm-hmm. describing the murders. So like this, this is like real time kind of accounts versus so, later on books and things that were to rewritten. be rendered insensible is that unconscious i guess i guess unconscious um i'll get into more of what actually happened to him physically oh, uh, we no. get a bit gruesome oh he couldn't just leave him unconscious with a furious dog oh no he did leave him unconscious with a furious dog but he you'll see oh, no. patience my friend so anyway he goes back to the main floor walks through the parlor where he left traces of blood on the doorways and then he goes up another set of stairs to the Wickham's bedroom. 
they believe that they were awake when he walked into the room based on like the way the bed sheets were. Shit, they did more investigation than than Borden police. Oh god. Well they were all sleeping at that point. <laughs> well, you would think they would be at midnight. Clearly people on Long Island stay up much later. <laughs> yeah, so they think that they actually jumped out of bed when he entered the room. Um, according to the two servant girls who had their quarters in the attic. Okay. Mrs. Wickham screamed, Nicholas, don't kill him. Don't kill him. Take what you want in the house, but don't kill him. So after he attacked the Mr. and Mrs., he then proceeded up to the attic and he discovered that they had already escaped. Good. How did they escape if they were in the attic? Oh, they. I think they were able to get out like some other door or maybe climb. I don't think they climbed out the window. Okay. I couldn't really find anything. There may be something, but I felt like I was reading the same thing over and over again, and it was making me anxious. Okay. <laughs> they got out, which is yes. good. Yes. It's clearly they got out somehow. And I would imagine they had enough time, because they actually, they heard her screaming, which means he hadn't attacked her yet at that point. So they had enough time to get out. Yeah. They may have climbed out a window, like gotten down another floor or two and climbed out a window. So then he goes back downstairs, through the bedroom of the Wickhams, past the bodies, climbs out the window, like lowered himself to the ground. They actually found bloody hand and footprints on the woodwork where okay. he lowered himself to the ground. And they were able to actually initially track him, like in the direction I think it was eastward, based on the blood prints that were left on fences, corn, and the ground as he blood. ran off. Yeah. So when the servant girls had escaped, they ran to a neighbor, Mr. William Betts, for help. Betts then grabbed Ms. Dr. Carpenter... And Joseph Corwin, and this doctor, was much better at his job. <laughs> so Mr. Betts gets Dr. Carpenter and Joseph Corwin, also nearby neighbors, and the three went over to the farm. When they arrived, they heard groans coming from inside the house. They broke down the door and entered the Wickham's bedroom, where they found James actually trying to get up. And he was, No, 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 James is the husband. Oh. Stephen is the servant, James is the husband, Francis is the wife. Okay. So he was trying to get up off the floor, and he's saying, oh my, oh dear, and then he just collapsed again on the floor. And that's the last words he ever said. So, um, the doctor's examination determined that the killer had inflicted no less than 20 wounds to the face and head of Mr. Wickham. Oh my God, he was awake? Yeah. What do you mean he was awake? Wait, what? No, like, (laughs) obviously he was awake as it happened. But I mean, like, they found him. He was unconscious when they found him. Well, he said those few words, and then I guess when they actually... (sighs) You know, he said those few words and that was it. He was out. So, yeah. So, he also, the wounds included his jaw, which is broken in three places. His skull was broken on both sides of the head behind the ears. And his face had various cuts and bruises. Evidence from his hands and arms also suggested that he struggled with Bane before being hit with the axe. It seems after attacking James, that's when he went after Mrs. Wickham. Apparently, he grabbed her by the throat with one hand and gave her two blows to the forehead with the other. And according to the New York Times article of the time, it, it it states, quote, shattering the skull and scattering the brains about the room. Very matter of fact. Matter of fact, but eloquent. Yes. Scattering the brains. That's awful. It is. I guess she was in shock. I mean, I, I don't know how high the, that room was. I may have just taken my chance and just jumped out of the window. Yeah. I'm going to, I think it was the second floor. Yeah, I may have just taken my chances and jumped out. Yeah. I mean, listen, a broken leg is better than whatever, but... Yeah. But, I mean, she was probably in shock. Well, and she also probably thought she could, because she knew him, it wasn't like a random intruder. Yeah. Maybe she thought she could stop him, and, like, he would listen to her, and she was trying to talk sense. I mean, he wasn't listening to her at all. No. So... He had his mind made up, it sounds like. Yeah. So, when the authorities actually arrived, James was found on the floor with his head toward the door, his wife was found facing the opposite direction with her head toward the window. And she had actually been stripped of her clothing, which I thought was interesting. Like, hmm. they don't go into any more detail. That's where they leave it. Hmm. They um, may not have in that time, though. Yeah, they may not have even touched that subject. <laughs> What's crazy is both the Wickhams survived. Actually, all three people that were attacked, Stephen and, and the two Wickhams, survived for a period of time afterward. Oh um, Mrs. Wickham died two hours later. Oh, jeez. Yeah, and and like the, when I read that, and I'm I'm thinking, okay, so let me get this straight. Brains were scattered about the room, but she survived for two more hours. Like, holy shit! How? Just how? I just I can't even imagine. 
Mr. Wickham survived for 20 hours. Oh, my God. Yeah. And Stephen, the servant boy. Now, from what I understand, this took place on a Friday. Okay. Okay. Stephen, which is the servant boy, had been struck at least three times with one blow fracturing his skull and another severing an ear. He survived for two days after the attack. I'm like, and what did he do? He didn't do anything. No. Like, I understand. Okay. Let me rephrase that. <laughs> I don't understand why anyone would do this, but I can under- I can see the vengeance against... Well, you're just angry and anyone in your way is getting it. Right. But... but he was 15. <sighs> then again, actually, um, Bane was only 20 years old. It wasn't like you're talking... I mean, not that it... I mean, five years between 15 and 20 does make a huge difference. I mean, and also I think to today's 20 is different than back then's 20. Yeah. Even today's 15. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I, I'm, I very much think that he would have just moved out of the way if he saw that in his hand and been like, okay. Yeah. I'm not. I would much rather not get hit in the head. <laughs> yeah, I think not. So, the only thing I could think of is maybe he didn't want to leave any survivors so nobody could... Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. ...identify him. Anyhow, so, according to witnesses, Bain ate breakfast the following morning at an Irish shanty near Greenport. At 8 p.m. the following evening, he stopped at the home of Mr. Thompson to get food. Mr. Thompson asked if he was the one who committed the murders, to which Bain replies, quote, Yes, I am, and I have not done as much as I mean to do. Now, I don't know. I guess he's referring to Ellen because he didn't Probably. actually get her. So clearly he was he was not remorseful in any way. No. Sounds- so Mr. Thompson had attempted to detain Nicholas, but another neighbor arrived and distracted him and Nicholas was able to escape again. So the Wiccan murders were the first the area had seen in 30 years. The gr- There's also like three people that live there. Yeah, exactly. Um, the gruesome nature of the killings, the fact that the Wickhams were well-known, liked, and respected by everyone, of course, enraged all of the local residents, who then took up arms and started searching for him. But even, even okay, per se, they were not well-loved, right? <laughs> I mean, that's just something awful to do to anybody. Yes. So I would imagine nobody really wanted a murderer on the loose, even if they had yeah. specific motive. Right. Right? So... Anyhow, they all grabbed their pistols and their rifles, and they started this manhunt, which apparently took quite a while, a couple of days. And he was able to hide out and, and evade people. I think he moved mostly at night. Yeah. Um, a couple of times he was seen, and people did attempt to shoot at him, but with no success. And so apparently when they found him, he had covered himself in leaves in the forest, but failed to cover his feet. So they found him. It's very cartoony. Mm. <laughs> it is very but yeah, so eventually, like a warning shot, gunshot rang out, and that's when the rest of the search party knew that they had found him. And the New York Times is quoted as saying he was found, quote, greatly fatigued with a two-inch wound visible on his throat. In his pockets was found a single-barrel pistol loaded with small shot, a pocket knife, and a razor case from which it is supposed he took the razor to kill himself after inflicting the wound. I'm sorry, it said which he took the razor to kill himself, and after inflicting the wound, threw it away. In his pockets was also found bread and cake, enough for him to subsist upon for two days. The bottoms of his pantaloons were saturated with blood, apparently, from that of his victims. I always thought pantaloons, though, were underwear. Like, I mean, is that their undergarments? I think they're just short pants. I don't know. But I'm not sure. I should have Googled I just know that that's something that we need to start using more often, that word. I love pantaloons. I use it all the time. <laughs> I was born in the wrong decade. I was born, born in the wrong century. So yeah, apparently the men that found him didn't want to give him a chance to actually be arrested. They were chanting, hang him. And they were just, they literally like found a tree and they were like, okay, we'll use this one. But the sheriff did step in and ensured he was delivered alive to Riverhead. Of course, the search party followed them the whole way. Um, four months later, Bain was convicted of first degree murder and was hanged in a courtyard behind the Riverhead jail on December 15th, 1854. He was then buried in an unmarked grave near the south side of the Peconic River. And that is where Mr. Bain's story ends. Hmm. I just thought it was really cool that I was actually able to find New York Times articles. Yeah, that's... From the actual period. Well, historical preservation is very important, and I'm very glad that they have it. Me too, because we use some other initial resources, and, and, and yeah, they didn't Awful. seem to be very good. Apparently, 200 and some odd years of 
playing telephone right. have skewed some of the details. Which were just very easily verifiable if you actually took the time to do the research. For God's sake, I found these articles through Wikipedia. They actually provided links. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody's like, ew, Wikipedia. They, like, they do actually hire a lot of experts now. It's not like it... Yeah, it used, used to be a they, giant joke, and now it's actually like, yeah. you you know, you have to know what you're looking for and also check when it was last edited yeah. and by whom and all of that good stuff. You have to be able to know how to research. Yes. Unlike some authors. <laughs> Which, sadly... Between the two of us, we now have three books from this author. <laughs> <laughs> two of which are the same. Yeah, that was actually pretty funny. One of one of the books just got delivered, and Heather was like, oh, I can't wait to look at this stuff up in here. And and I looked at the cover, and I grabbed my book, and I went, well, shit, I had the same one. You didn't need to buy that. Hmm. Oh, well. And it didn't even have what I needed in it. Nope. Lies. All lies. Crap. That's well, what we get for liking physical books. Yeah, I know, but it does smell good. Yeah, that's so the first thing you did. It's an A-plus for that. Yeah. Yes, one of those weird people that likes to smell like books, which is why I have like a billion of them. Yeah. So, as far as the haunting, this just, I, I don't know why, just this always makes it look like I don't do my research, and I do my research, I promise you. Oh, yeah, we part. forgot to mention this at the beginning, because I'm stupid and can't remember just to say my name, even. <laughs> <laughs> CRS syndrome. Yep. Can't remember shit. So yeah, no, we were gonna we were gonna address the fact that because some of these more local or smaller, lesser known crimes and hauntings generally tend to not have a whole lot of information. What we're gonna do going forward is give you the the I don't want to say small case, but like the lesser known localish, yeah, the lesser known stuff, yeah. Along with like that'll be the first half, and then the second half is gonna be a bit more about us and you know. Paranormal theory. Yeah, some personal investigations we've done. Yeah. Eventually, we will incorporate some of our own EVPs and stuff like that once we figure out how to do it. Um, (laughs) Actually, I think I may know how to do it now. Oh, good. Excellent. I'm getting better. Uh, Yeah, some of our stories, what we've learned, all that good stuff. And then we will obviously have the more popular, uh, well-known cases, which will be the other episodes. So we will flip-flop those. Yes. So sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. So totally fine. Go into your haunting. So the interesting thing about the Wickham farmhouse, as we mentioned earlier, is that it's actually still in the same family. The same family still lives there to this day. Well, not obviously the same (laughs) people. That would just be weird. That would be very interesting. Um, But the same descendants, I should say, of the family. And they run like a farm stand and a farm. And I really recommend going there. They have pies and stuff. It's fantastic. It's out on the island. Mm, uh, actually, you have to hit the whole east end of Long Island. If yeah, just drive down 25A. Yeah, if you're ever on Long Island or you're not from Long Island, you have to hit, if you want to go to the wineries, the fall is a great time to come for the wineries and yep. get the fresh pies. And then Briarmere Farms. Yes. In addition to Wickham, you could stop for one pie at Briarmere and another <laughs> yeah, pie at Wickham. Plug. Yeah, so um, yeah, it's definitely worth doing. But they're still there, uh, the family, and now they have their farm stand. But the house is still there. It's just still in the same family. So now it's not like it's a well-known haunted hot spot as, say, maybe the Lizzie Borden house, which we have spoken about, or the Amityville house, where it's past hands. And stories of hauntings have populated. The only research that I could find, and this is various websites, various authors, and one very poorly researched author... That I could find is that sometimes people have heard footsteps at night, which they think could be the footsteps of Nicholas Bain running up the stairs to commit his murder, which, if anything, would be a residual residual haunting. Um, do they describe like the like? Do they just say footsteps, or do footsteps. they go into like like footsteps pace? running up the stairs? Okay, so they say it's yeah. running. Okay. Which, who knows, it may not even be that. Maybe it was just someone running up the stairs because they forgot their pocket watch. Who knows why? But... Uh, the other part, which I did find interesting in my research, was that the master bedroom where this murder happened apparently is not in use. The family doesn't use it. It's boarded off. And I, I don't know if it's because maybe stuff does happen in there. Yeah. I'd be interested to know when they when they closed it up. Yeah. Like, was it that they did that right after the murders and just kind of nobody ever went in there again? You know, like took everything out? Could have been. It, and then said, nope, nobody's going in there again. Could have been that. Or maybe they just preserved it. Or maybe, I don't know, maybe they don't, they just don't like the room. Maybe, who knows why. But people don't stay in there, apparently. This is what I've heard. But the family apparently doesn't talk about it either. 
I can't say I blame them. Yeah. So the, this is information that has been almost, I would say, passed around on Long Island. This is what the stuff I found either through blogs or tiny articles and like little clippings. And yeah. This is not anything that I could really find on any big websites or in any books, which is just really interesting. So, I mean, if anyone from the Wickham family is out there and they know or we could ever get in there to do a respectful investigation that would just be really interesting and it could be interesting maybe if there isn't any paranormal activity it could be because it is in the same family right like maybe you know the footsteps could be vain yeah and like you said it could be anybody who with a, fam- a house being in a family for that many years yeah you know i would imagine going back even be- before them yeah that many people had died in the house i mean yeah. you know it, it was normal for the time for people to pass at home. And yeah, and them to have the, fu- the funeral in the parlor and all that stuff. Exactly. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, it, it was somebody else. Yeah. You know, and until we were, we'd be able to get in there and do an EVP session and maybe find out who, you know, like if we could get that information. Because it's happened. We've gotten EVPs that have been a bit more specific. Right. Um, Steve loves his Gettysburg one. <laughs> Where I think he asks, he's at Saxbridge, and he says, what do you think of of Grant? And they're like, we wish he was dead. Yeah. So, like, you know, there was that back and forth. So, you know, if we got an EVP that acknowledged us and actually said, you know, who they were. Yeah. That would be phenomenal. Right. But we don't know if, you know, it could be vain. I I mean, based on the fact that they're running up the stairs. Yeah. I'm going to say that it's very possible. Or, I mean, who knows? Once, say, if the family ever leaves that area and they sell the house, it could kick up the paranormal activity. Yeah. Or if they decide to do a complete renovation, that could kick up the paranormal activity. Or if they decide to go back into that room and start using it. Exactly. I mean, who knows? Um, I, I was disappointed that I couldn't find too much on the haunting because it is rumored to be haunted, but you can't get any information out. It's kind of like getting a dry lemon. It's like, you know, there's juice there, but you're not getting much out of it. Yeah. Um, so that kind of sucked. So that was a little disappointing. Uh, but now, you know, that I know that there's rumor, next time I go out there, I will purchase a lot of stuff and then hopefully ask in a very nice way. Hey, what's going on out here? <laughs> <laughs> Can we come in there? But, you know, that. so that's, that's Wickham. I mean, <sighs> it's unfortunate. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and and so one of the conversations you and I had earlier, and to my coworker who I'm sure is probably listening, I love you. We I actually took the advice to heart and want to kind of explain because um, in previous episodes we kind of we gave off the a vibe, I guess you could say, that in a lot of cases we don't. I don't want to say don't believe, but maybe don't agree with some of the claims or don't agree with a lot of the claims. Well, couldn't verify. Right. Well, that's kind of where I was going with this, was that it's not to say that I don't believe Amityville is haunted. I'll be honest. I just, I can't imagine that it's not. And I think we did say that in the first episode. I can't imagine that they're, maybe not now, but at least shortly after, Mm -hmm. that something wasn't going on there. Right. Um, Even with Centerreach... Uh-huh. You know, the tough part with that one, and that's kind of what we wanted to explain, was we do believe. I mean, oh, yeah. my we, house is haunted. You've had personal experiences. I've had personal experiences. And that's what basically even got us in this whole thing in the first place. Exactly. And the fact of the matter is that there's one case that we just were talking about earlier that, you know, we'd like to do an entire episode on. Just because what led up to the investigation and the process that we used to go through, right? So when we would do an investigation prior to actually doing the live investigation, we did the preliminary interview, which I think we mentioned in another episode. And those were, there were like psychological questions on there. Right. And I I may, I maybe for that episode, I'll see if I can find our old documents, (laughs) but you know, this particular case, we can go through start to finish from preliminary right through to the ending of that investigation through EVP. We still have that EVP by the way. Which we'll have to play for you guys. Yeah. But believe me, we are both believers. And we do absolutely believe that that places are haunted. But at the same time, like one of the things we have to do, especially with Amityville, right? So like I do believe that shortly after or still, anything is possible, Mm -hmm. there's activity. Unfortunately, because what the Lutzes did by blowing this out of proportion and making it something bigger than it was. And I'm not even saying all of their claims 
were unfounded. There may very well have been things that they said that did happen, but it got out of control. Yes. And then how do I sit there and say, yes, this place is haunted when they literally admitted that they made up the story? Right. But then you're, <laughs> you're also turning these crimes that happen, these ghastly crimes, these horrible things, it's almost like a circus. Right. And we, a lot of times, too, have been called into these homes to either verify or disprove. People are trusting us. They're inviting us into their homes, their personal lives, and telling us these very personal details about things that frighten them most of the time. Yeah. Um, sometimes it's to see if, you know, their loved one is there, but sometimes it's, they're scared and they want to know what's going on. And we don't want to go in there and just be like, ooh, this is so exciting. Ooh, did I just see Miss? We want to go in there almost like a scientist and say, all right, let me see if I could, you know, if your pipes are banging, maybe that's why you're having knocking on the wall. Or maybe um, that noxious smell, or maybe you have a gas leak. Yeah. You know, maybe something is actually going on here that isn't paranormal that you actually need help with. Or maybe there is something that's paranormal and we can get you the help you need. But we want to be able to verify it because we don't want you to feel like you've been tricked. And we don't want to look like assholes either because we have a stake in this. This is something that we want to help to become a legitimate science and something that we believe in. Yeah. And like I was saying to you earlier, like, so there's a case that we'll talk about briefly. But, you know, we did have an experience and, you know, one of the things that we can talk about that happened there was there was like the tools for the fireplace hanging on this thing. And maybe we should start beginning with that. Yeah. Okay. So basically the gist of it is that the way we look at something and the, and, and the investigation is we walk in, we get the claims that the, the homeowner or whomever is the person that our contact is there tells us what those claims are. Right. The first thing we try to do is see if it's not something natural. If we can recreate it, it's not to say that it's absolutely not paranormal, but we have to rule it out because we are able to recreate it. Yeah. If we can't, then that's another story. And it's not saying that we, maybe we did see something out of the corner of our eye. Right. But we can't prove it. Right. And unfortunately things don't like to show up on camera. Yes. They're all so if we shy. can't prove it, we, I mean, doesn't mean we can't tell the homeowner, listen, I did, I thought I saw something, but at the same time, if we happen to capture an EVP at the same time we saw it, we could tell them about that. Right. That's another. Yeah. It's like backup altogether. evidence. But right. if the only thing we did when we were there after everything is see something out of the corner of our eye, we, there's not much we could do. Right. Um, we can't say definitively one way or the other, basically it's what right. it amounts to. We're not saying it's not at that point. Or that it is, but we literally don't have conclusive evidence. Right. So, um, which is why we approach it in a certain way. And when we would get an email or a case would get passed to us, which yep. happened, we would go with preliminary questions. And some of those questions were, um, do you have any, and some of them were personal, any history of psychiatric yep. issues? Are you on any medication? Are you a drinker? Um, do you use recreational drugs? And like all these Things And just so we know what we are walking into to yep. help us make the best informed, uh, uh, I guess, conclusion once everything yeah. is wrapped up. And then we, whoever the case manager is for that specific investigation, they have their team, but they don't tell everyone on that team exactly, you know, the, oh, this person's on medication, they're doing this, this. They don't really tell them everything because they want them to go in almost kind of blind. So they may say, there, yeah, there's some claims in this room. There's some claims in that room. Maybe you want to set your camera up over there. They'll put their team together. And one of the best things that I loved about our group, and I know a lot of groups are the same, is that everyone brought something different to the table. Yep. Everybody, we had um, Kevin, who was a firefighter, and he knew a lot of police officers, so he had great instincts, and he had a great eye for things. Steve, with his tech issues, and uh, he could figure all that stuff out. He helped us out a lot. You, with your organizational skills. Natalie, with her... (laughs) <laughs> with her designs. And, you didn't see me bowing. No. Yeah, and her graphic <laughs> designs. And we had um, some people who, like I had mentioned earlier. Yep. Um, who maybe were, uh, which seemed a little pushy, but it ended up being beneficial in the end, like business-wise and getting us in certain places. 
Um, we had people that had worked in graveyards, which could help us with reading certain stones and their meanings and debunking certain, uh, certain things that could have been going on in the graveyards. Um, I had a, a historical research background. There's so many things that everyone brought to the table, which were so helpful. And when we would go into a case, everyone used all those different tools that were basically in their belt. And we really helped a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, like we were talking about before, I mean, we had a case where this family was experiencing all sorts of different claims, but one of the biggest things that they were worried about was they were all of a sudden developing these health issues that they couldn't explain. Right. Which could be paranormal. That does happen sometimes. Yeah, it does. Headaches and things of that sort. And it turned out, and I'd have to double check this with Steve because he remembers this case. He talks about it all the time. But basically, they went to the basement. This family was renting the house. And they went to the basement. And the investigators that were there found, like, excessive amounts of black mold. And one of the things that was, I think, great about our group is we didn't just go, okay, yeah, black mold. It's your problem. Figure it out. (laughs) We actually compiled resources for homeowners, like in all sorts of scenarios. So if we did discover it was pipes banging in the wall that was causing that knocking sound, we had plumbers that were licensed and insured that, you know, people had used before we had gotten them through recommendations. So we can give them this information, not just say, yeah, your pipes are knocking, sucks to be you. (laughs) Um, But actually this family, they were able to help them get out of the house into a hotel until this issue had been remediated and worked with the landlord, like as they were renting and whatever. So Anyway, my point is that we we didn't just do investigations for the paranormal aspect of it. If we could help someone in the process, you know, we didn't just look for the paranormal. We tried to find other reasons, which eventually led us to helping people if it was something that was not paranormal. Right. So, moving on to the case that we Hmm. would like to discuss. Oh, God. And this is one of the things that kind of drives me crazy and kind of is also why... Not that we don't, again, believe things. In this particular instance, just overview, we had experiences in this location. Yes. But the actions of the homeowner after, because they didn't get the answers from us that they wanted, moved on to get more um, attention. We'll put it that way. So, this was... (laughs) Heather, just so you all are aware, since you can't see us... Heather looks like her head's going to explode. There's gestures, like facial expressions. This is just so infuriating to me. She's biting her hand. I am just, I'm furious (laughs) about this entire thing. I I think, honestly, because there was a time where Cynthia and I just didn't, like, we just grew apart for a little while and we didn't talk. I Which I'm mad about. Sorry, me too. I love you. I I think I was, this was during what I, I was about to fall asleep, like one of my naps, because I like to nap. I'm like a cat. And I always put on... Paranormal shows or true crime or something when I'm about to fall asleep. Which is how we got here. Yeah. It's like soothing. So. Oh, yeah. I'm putting it on and then, you know, the overdramatic music comes on to one of these paranormal shows on one of these networks. I will not say which one. And it's like a house on Long Island. And I was like, oh. Well, here we go. Yeah. I just, I like perked up and I was like, that's weird. It's like a, a widower. And I was like, a widow? A widower? A widow. Widower. A widow. He's like a widow and um, being haunted by demonic activity, um, a group, and then it shows it shows a very familiar face that I know. And I was like, that's so weird. Why why is she on the TV? <laughs> and then it, why are you? There? And then this other woman pops up, and I was like, she looks familiar. Why and then are you she's there. Like, yeah, why are you there? And then she starts talking about a case, a case that we did. And she starts fucking lying. <laughs> I was like, what is she talking about? That didn't happen. And let's just say it could have been a circus on the TV. It was complete and utter crap. I was furious. I yep. grabbed my phone. I think this was an initially. Started, I was like, I still have Cynthia's number. I'm texting her right now. <laughs> and I was like, you will not believe the crap I just saw on TV. And she was like, are you kidding me? Yeah, and that was, was like, like the door was open at that point. I think there was like a, a text chain that went on after that with everybody who had been there. Yeah. Well, maybe in the minus one person. <laughs> um, yeah, but it was, I mean, I watched this episode and I wanted to throw something at the TV. Mm-hmm. We went to this house, we investigated, and the story of the homeowner is heart-wrenching. Very sad. You know, 
Is that the right word? Heart wrenching. Yes, yes, it I, was. It was it very didn't sad. Sound right coming out, but anyway, she lost. She lost her husband in a very sad, horrific way. Yes, we our hearts went out to her. She and had her kids, three kids. Yeah, she had um, her kids, and she had, but she had a good support system around yep. her. Then all of a sudden, all this horrible stuff that like started happening that she was claiming. She apparently caught some evidence, which she showed us, and she told us where all the activity was. Yeah. Well, and and to be fair, I mean, there was some evidence that, you know, it was a camera outside the house that instead of showing us the actual video of from that camera, we got cell phone video of the recording of the video. Right. And so when we saw this, you know, A, some of the quality is, is diminished. Just it's shaky. Because of that. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, like we were saying, unfortunately, you know, we looked at this video and, and the thing that stuck out to her, we kind of looked at it and went, it could very well be like a cobweb or something based on where it is and all this kind of stuff. And we always hated to kind of, I don't want to say burst the person's bubble, but when they would come to us with certain claims that we were able to easily tell were right. not paranormal, like just because we did it so often. Yeah. We saw things like this all the time. So to tell somebody, no, it's not what you think it is, was not an easy thing to do. However, we went ahead and we did the investigation there. And things um, happened. And we, yeah, exactly. We did, we did, ha- I had a St. Michael um, chain, which I always wore to investigations, around my neck. Which, did brother give that, was it your brother that gave it to you? I don't know. Anyway. No, I don't think so. Irrelevant. Um, <clears throat> which all of a sudden was in my hands. It like, I felt like a tug and then it was in my hands. It was, it just like was off my neck. I was like, well, that's strange. Um, and it didn't come off at the clasp, right? Like, no, it, the chain like itself it snapped. Ripped. Yeah. Um, so that was crazy. Uh, we thought we saw a shadow figure-ish thing kind of run by the window outside, which actually Kevin thought he saw because we were in the kitchen. And all of a sudden he books outside. And he's like, I thought there was a guy outside. Like, I thought there was actually a human man walking outside. And he's like, there's not. <laughs> so, and that happened to us on more than one occasion yeah. because that happened at the other case that we're going to go into yes. detail yeah and he's like there's, yeah, there's not later. anyone out here and then she was saying oh but I, I have like the the lights that will motion go, the, and yeah weren't those going off too yes yes and so that was weird and we had the fireplace things move yep and we checked and that's what we were trying to again what we were getting at earlier was when that happened the first thing we did was we checked to make sure there were no, door, no doors open right no windows open there were no AC or heat vents mm-hmm. anywhere near it that could have caused we it. We, like, ran by it, stomped by yeah. it to make sure that, we like, did. the we vibration... We did. and everything. Yeah, that the vibration wasn't going to move those. Nothing. Yeah, so... And there's a reason we did that. That the flu was shut? Yep. Everything. And the reason we did that was not solely to just be like, okay, well, it's got to be something normal. We wanted to make sure that what we'd experienced was not caused by something completely natural. And then we can say, okay... Now, that's interesting. That's interesting. And yeah. then what we would do is also incorporate it into EVP sessions too. Right. You know, did, you know, we would talk to whoever was there or wanted to enter us, answer us, you know, did you move those things? Did you push them? Whatever we wanted to ask them. But it was important for us not to just assume that it was paranormal. Right. Because our fear was, you know, we leave the house, the homeowner sees this thing move again and discovers, you know, they moved a chair and it caused enough of a vibration to make these things move. And then they look at us and go, okay, these people are idiots. Like, I debunked it in two seconds. <laughs> so we never wanted people to feel that way about us. We always wanted to make sure we did our due diligence. Make sure that what we were experiencing was truly something unexplained. Right. And it and it was very frustrating to us when we had these experiences. But nothing was being captured on our video. Because for some reason the video was like... Two feet to the left of like the fireplace. I swear to God, it's like whatever is there knows. Yes, yeah, because it happens all the time. All the time. It's like there's no point in even having video set up unless you have the handheld. The handhelds are the best way to go. Yeah, but but then to see this on TV. Oh my god! And to see it literally blown out of proportion to the point where at the end of the freaking like demon thing, faces popping out of corners is that like that yeah, like a flaming happen. demon face came out of a, a freaking doorway and it's like and then someone that we had investigated with yeah. who had left the group because they wanted to Which, i don't think that person was there at that investigation i think they were oh listen we did so many and to be clear one of the other things that we do whenever we've investigated I shouldn't say that we do we did <laughs> past tense 
we always conducted more than one investigation. We usually did like three or four. Yeah, and we usually tried to set it up exactly the same way every time to some degree. Unless we wanted to recheck out a certain area or right. something. Like we tried to, again, we tried to do it in a scientific manner, in a consistent manner. You know, we had forms and, and a way to do things so that nothing could ever be called into question. And that if we did find evidence, that it would be backed up. Right. So, yeah, this was really obnoxiously frustrating to see this thing on TV. <laughs> I was just furious. And then to see them say it was demons, all these demons, and then they threw, like, salt at it, and they haven't had issues since. First off, anyone knows that if it's a real demon... Salt ain't gonna do it. Salt's not doing crap for you. Nope. Might work on a slug, but it's not gonna work on a demon. I hate to tell you. And not for nothing, um... Also, like, two two lines later, says, well, we do some from time to time see ghosts. Okay, well, so then nothing worked that you did, and it's probably not a demon. Right. Again, it's everything you said was paranormal haunting. Yeah. That had you not just told us, basically, F off by not contacting us anymore and whatever. My vibe is, the feeling that I got was, this person was not happy that we did not find something demonic and horrible. Mm-hmm. And therefore, look for answers elsewhere. Yes. And you know what? And there are groups that are willing to walk in and just tell you that you're right about everything, that your house is a portal from hell, and that they're going to try and call the newspapers and get it on TV. Yep. And sometimes it works. And we've had groups, and we talked about this earlier, that literally we walked in and they were like, so when does the camera crew show up? And we're like, they don't. The only cameras we have are the ones that are in these cases. <laughs> they're infrared. <laughs> and they really aren't flattering. Um, no. and we also mentioned the fact that it, because there was a particular group that we were associated with and they heard that our tech guy was Steve mm. and they got really excited, but it wasn't that Steve, but yeah, it, but our Steve going back to that case, one of the things that they talked about on the show that they did when they lied their faces off, yes, they talked about a particular thing, a reflection and, a, and not a reflection of a demon or something coming out of a mirror. Oh yes. Yes. And they had told us about this claim, showed us the picture that they had taken, because it was not simply this person seeing it come out of the mirror. There was a photograph taken that they said that they saw this demonic thing in the mirror, and we were able to recreate that photo. Because there were like four or five people in the room at the time. Right. So we used all of our investigators and kind of set everyone up in the same positions, the same way that photograph was taken. And we were able to figure out what caused this quote-unquote, demonic face to appear. Mm -hmm. But according to the show, it was definitely a demon coming out of the mirror. I just, I again, and what irritates me about this is, that is why people don't take the paranormal seriously. Right, exactly. And, and it makes it very frustrating for us because we do, we do believe that, that spirits exist. Something unexplained does happen. Mm -hmm. And we want to be able to prove it. We want to be able to produce true hardcore evidence. But when you have people like that... There are people who turn around and when I say I'm involved in paranormal, like I'm almost embarrassed because they look at you and they roll their eyes like, oh yeah, okay, that. Exactly. So the paranormal field becomes a joke because flaming faces. Flaming faces. Mm -hmm. That's going to be a good group our... name. Yep. So we need to start a band now. <laughs> yeah, flaming faces. So I mean, also even, Shiza, where was I going with that? Oh, there's German. Mm-hmm. It's a hell of a lot better than mine. <laughs> um... Oh, yes. So, say we have done, like, 100 cases, right? Maybe 25 of those cases we could walk away from going, wow, that place is haunted. Yep. The 75 other ones, we sat there in the dark from 8 p.m. till Sometimes 5 a.m. Yeah, 4 or 5. 4 or 5 a.m. in a lot of silence, doing some EVPs. And sorry, if you take the paranormal seriously, that's a lot of time to waste on a Friday, Saturday night if you don't believe in it. Yeah. We absolutely believe in it, but we want to do it right. Exactly. And we gave up a lot of weekends, a lot of time with our family or friends or yeah. studying. I well, a lot of all-nighters after that. I think that this our group became our family and our friends because we spent totally. a lot of time together. Yeah. Because it wasn't, again, it wasn't just going and doing investigations. It was all the setup for it. Yep. It was having meetings to discuss what our next steps were. Evidence Lectures, review. evidence review. So we spent a lot Travel. of time yeah. not just investigating. It was all the other things that went into keeping the group organized. Yeah. Making sure that we never let anything fall through the cracks. Like, it was a lot. And so, yes, we do take this seriously. 
And we want other people to take it seriously, which is why we do things the way we do. And why saw a group basically selling out and sitting there saying, yeah, there was flaming faces coming out of the mirror. It makes me want to find them and slap the ever-living shit out of them. Because all they wanted to do was be on TV. Exactly. That's, this person... Congratulations, you're a sellout. And, and, and again, we're not talking about the homeowner because any number of reasons could have caused this homeowner to do the things that she did. Well, and for all we know, I mean, look, I do believe people call us because they truly believe whatever they're going through. Oh, absolutely. I'm sure. And when you're scared, everything is heightened. Yes. And especially considering everything that woman had been through. She'd been through a lot. Between her husband's death and the issues with her kids, kids and everything yeah. else. And I, I'm angry at this other person, mm-hmm. this other group that went in there and fed off of that as well. And like took advantage. You took advantage of her and her situation. And okay, maybe she did feel like something was achieved by them coming in and, and validation, validating her. But I don't know. I just, that person from the group, like I said, their heart was not in the right place. No. They just wanted to get on TV and be famous. And I yeah. can tell you there were a number of people that, that we did work with that oh, were yeah. like, oh, I'd love to make this my living and, and make money doing this. And I'm like, I would love to do this all day, every day. Yes. Don't really care if I get paid or not. Cause right. I, I would have it done it for free if I could just have a roof over my head. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So yes, there are people who are in it for all the wrong reasons. And, and there are, I mean, there are good groups and good people out there that are on TV that I look at. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I, I enjoy this. I think you guys are doing this for the right reasons. And then there are idiots too. That yeah. I look at it. I'm like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> so very much. <laughs> But yeah, so to recap, we do believe in the paranormal. If we didn't, we wouldn't be doing this. We right. wouldn't have done so many years of investigating. And truthfully, if we could figure out a way, and, and I mean this wholeheartedly, if we can figure out a way to do investigating in some form or fashion, then mm-hmm. we can kind of, I don't want to say pare it down, but make it something that would be, get us the best results. Right. But also not be that we had to spend you know, 36 hours watching video (laughs) because the reality of it is that's one of the things that ends up making it very difficult for us to to continue with a case. And especially now when you have a job and life. Yes. It's almost impossible. And and I wouldn't want, I don't, the reason I say that is I don't want any case that we do to fall through the cracks or for us to miss something. And it's a lot easier to miss something when you can't really devote 36 hours to just watching the video, never mind the actual investigation, right. never mind the note write up, never mind anything else, right? So if we could figure out a way, you know, using the handhelds or something like that, where you would have the audio and the video, even still using a regular recorder, because that's the best way, I think. Yeah, but I agree. Irrespective of After that. all the, the footage that we look through, hours and hours and audio. hours. Audio is the best. I love audio. Yep. I so stop. I would love to do it again. I would love to. I would too. So... Yeah, so I think that does it for this week's episode. Yes. So, what are we doing next week? We had discussed. I forgot. Oh, Ed Gain. Yeah, Ed Gain. So, if you don't know the name, because most people I don't think really know his name per se. If you don't know the name, his name is Ed Gain. <laughs> nice one. <laughs> See, flaming faces. Here we come. Um. Yeah, so he actually was the inspiration for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface, and Silence of the Lambs. I'm sorry, Psycho. Psycho was the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so Ed Gein, next time, the, what is it, the the Ed Gein Farm. Yes. The Psycho House. Yes. That should be a really good one. So going to be a lot of research for the crime. Yeah, we better start that, like, right now. Fuck a dog. (laughs) Um... So that one we will likely not talk about ourselves very much because it's probably going to be a whole That's going to be a lot of episode. And yeah. if you have not followed us on Twitter, please follow us on Twitter. For the love of God, Brave please follow Grimes us. Podcast, so I stopped tweeting into thin air. And <laughs> we're on Facebook. Facebook. We are also, where else are we? Um, oh. Um, Instagram. Instagram. Yep. And our website should be up soon. Also, in between recording these things, editing these things, <laughs> going to work, <laughs> we're working on it. If we have any volunteers that want to help us work on our website, hey, Lord bejesus. we can't pay you because we can barely pay our own bills. Um, <laughs> yeah, for real. Oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, we also would love to get suggestions for episodes. Yeah. You know, or if you have any. Um, crazy, like, local... Stories. Yeah, or... Uh, Murdery, you know, haunty things. Crime haunts, like, uh, local things. 
<sighs> that you that you have proof of that yes. you can back up as far yeah, as you need something you know like an article um and then maybe local clippings of other haunts or something like that or if you've investigated maybe you yeah or maybe you're an investigator let me hear yeah let me hear your your investigative story but don't forget we need the true crime and the paranormal we can't just have one right or the other gotta have both yes because we're true crimey paranormally yeah this is what happens when it gets late at night it's 10 o'clock and I'm like loopy Definitely listen to us on Buzzsprout, on Apple Podcasts. We're on Pandora now. Pandora, Spotify. Yeah. Um, what else did we get on? <laughs> we are also on, why do I forget? Audible. Audible, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. And you can listen to us from your laptop. Amazon Music. Yep. Um, your phone. And do us a favor. Like, share. subscribe, share, and please leave us a review. Yeah, and you know what? Actually, one of the really cool things would be, you know, maybe tell us, like, even if you want to email us and tell us how you heard about us or where you're listening from. Yeah. Um, we do get some stats, but it would be really kind of cool to hear from people in terms of, like, where they're from and, and how they got to find us. You know, is it just... By chance, you were lucky enough to stumble upon, upon Grave Crimes Podcast. I'm so sorry. And, uh, <laughs> we apologize now. Email us at gravecrimespodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> okay, time for us to sign off. Everybody have a wonderful day, evening, whatever Weekend. it is you're doing. Yes. We're going to all go to bed on a Friday night at 10 o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, goodbye. Welcome to Grave Crimes Podcast, you motherfucker. (laughs)